Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. School of Humans. This podcast episode discusses historical events that include physical and sexual abuse against children. We were in the woods. It had to be around uh, October, November, somewhere around in the air. It was pretty cold. It's 1968 and Mary and a group of four girls have just run away from Mount Meg's. But we stayed in the woods and slept by day and would run, walk, whatever, by night. We were gone probably a couple of days before we made it to Montgomery. <laughs> when we got there, you know, we were ignorant. We went straight to the bus station, all dressed alike. Guess who's there? <laughs> the police. <laughs> they took us into custody, of course. Took us to juvenile. We knew they were gonna send us back there, and we were not going. I was, I was not going back without telling somebody what was going on with me. I didn't know that it was already known. I'm Josie Duffy Rice, and this is Unreformed the story of the Alabama Industrial School for Negro Children. Episode 5, When Mary Met Denny. What Mary said, that people already knew, is right. And perhaps the most unsettling part, that awareness wasn't a problem with Mount Meg's. Enough people across the state knew about the terrible conditions and abuse. It was just no one was bothered to do anything or wanted to. 
Like from 1962 to 1963, at least three different authorities came to Mount Meigs to investigate the conditions there. And each one basically said the same thing. The school was overcrowded and the facilities were terrible. At the end of these reports, there was always a list of recommendations. More staff, a new building, more equipment. But these things never seemed to happen. The board members of Mount Meigs either didn't read the reports closely or didn't do anything about it. And there weren't any trustees like Cornelia, trustees willing to fight for the kids. The only time Governor George Wallace, a staunch segregationist, pretended to care about Mount Meigs was when he was trying to underpay construction workers who were meant to be working on the campus. I have worried about the housing for these Negro children with winter coming on, he said, and I am concerned for their safety. But he wasn't concerned enough to do anything about it. There was at least a little concern from the public, very little. In the 60s, Governor Wallace got letters from everyone from parents to state representatives, concerned about how the water was unclean, or there was a problem with the sewage, or the kids were forced to work too much. And of course, they were concerned about the abuse. One white couple wrote in after their maid's grandson was sent to the school. They said, our maid has become afraid that instead of helping the boy, the guards at the institution are going to break his health and his spirit by their brutally severe methods. The allegations in these letters were all the same. The kids were being basically tortured. They were underfed. They were dirty. Superintendent Holloway and others were stealing the food that parents sent to their kids. And yet, Of course, nothing happened. And there's a very simple reason why nothing happened. Nobody cared. They were black kids. Nothing changed until Mary and the other runaways met Denny Abbott. That voice you just heard was Denny. He was a juvenile probation officer. He started working in juvenile corrections in Alabama in 1961. He was a young guy back then, in his early 20s hired to be a boys' counselor. Part of his job was to drive kids from the juvenile jail to Mount Meigs. Well, after I saw what it was like, I dreaded it because I knew that I was taking a kid to an institution that was going to, in a negative way, affect him for the rest of his life. After he dropped kids off at Mount Meigs a few times, Denny began reporting what he'd seen to his superiors including the head of the Montgomery Juvenile Court, Judge William F. Thetford. I'm not going to send white boys to Mount Meigs or Negro boys to the white schools at Birmingham. I have to stand for re-election every year, and integration is not popular. That's voice actor Van Gunter, reading a quote that Thetford gave to a Montgomery paper. Judge Thetford was many decades older than Denny, and he had a long history in the Alabama legal system. People remember him as a good old boy, respected by the powerful, perfectly comfortable in the status quo, and according to Denny, openly racist. He was a racist, pure and simple, and he made no uh, excuses for that. I remember one time he called all of us into his office for a staff meeting, and he said, if any of you ever refer to a black person as Mr. or Mrs. in my courtroom, you are fired. His racism, plus his interest in staying on the bench, 
meant that Judge Thetford was entirely against integration. Billy Thetford was a law enforcement guy. He'd been an FBI agent and a prosecutor before becoming a judge. He'd been on the wrong side of history more than once. In 1956, he prosecuted Martin Luther King Jr. himself for violating a law that outlawed boycotts. The year before that, he'd prosecuted 15-year-old Claudette Colvin after she refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white rider, nine months before Rosa Parks did the same. And this is how the system allowed, and even rewarded, the cruelty of a place like Mount Meg's. In much of the South, good old boy attorneys like Judge Thetford were the law. They terrorized Black people in the courtroom, often in the same order Thetford did it, first as prosecutor, then, if they were lucky, as judge. We're taught that judges are impartial, nonpartisan beings who strictly follow the law, whose only interest is getting it legally correct. But what's legally right and what is morally right are often at odds. And many times, judges were more like Thetford, interested in maintaining power rather than ensuring justice. Denny knew Thetford well enough to know it was damn near impossible that he'd actually do anything to address the conditions at Mount Meg's. But Denny kept filing reports anyway. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As a counselor in juvenile court, Denny kept a running log of complaints. He tried to document the physical abuses, the inadequate educational programs, and the myriad other issues at Mount Meg's that he'd witnessed or heard rumored. Sometimes he'd file another report with his superiors, but the reports he filed went nowhere. I was trying to get changes made, and of course nothing happened. This was the early 60s, smack in the middle of the growing civil rights movement. 
I saw the Freedom Bus Riders uh, come to Montgomery and get beat up. Uh, the march from Selma to Montgomery, led by Dr. King and John Lewis and, and some others, uh, 25,000 marchers came from Selma to Montgomery. I was standing on the steps of the captain of Montgomery when those marchers came in. And uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of awe-inspiring, actually, to see that kind of coalition of people demanding justice and equal rights. But Montgomery was still Montgomery. Montgomery, Alabama, in the 60s, was the most segregated place on the planet. One time, Denny invited one of his black co-workers over for dinner. The neighbors saw him walk in my house and didn't like it at all and made some comments to, uh, to me and my wife about having a black couple in our house. So it, it was that kind of ridiculous stuff that really painted Montgomery. It was reflective of, of the general feeling of white people. We've been talking about Denny and his efforts to draw attention to the conditions at Mount Meg's. But it's worth noting that most of the time, Denny just did his job like everyone else. Most days were normal, no complaints filed, no tension with the judge. As much as he wanted someone to address what was going on at Mount Meg's, he knew it would upset his ability to do his job. So he was constantly weighing what the best approach was. Again, this is Alabama in the 1960s. It's not clear that anyone in the criminal legal system would have been on Denny's side. And relative to the other employees, at least, Denny was powerless. A kid, really, just 21 when he started his job. And for the most part, he liked the job. He also needed the job. Plus, Denny was good at his job. He was a hard worker who really cared about the kids. It was Denny who applied for program grants and started a tutoring program. It was Denny who talked to the press, providing some insight into the intense chaos that some of these children faced. In 1963, at the age of 23, Denny got a promotion to chief probation officer. That was the same year that Dr. King reminded white Americans that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. As chief juvenile probation officer, Diddy now had a little bit more power to make some changes. He doesn't go after Mount Meg's right away. While Mount Meg's was the worst of it, in Alabama, there wasn't any good place to send kids who'd been accused of a crime. So Denny instead set his sights on the juvenile detention center. My office was like maybe 10 steps from the doors to the detention center, and uh, it was horrible. We were always overcrowded. We had nothing to provide kids. We had four large rooms, one large room for white boys, one large room for white girls. On the other side, one large room for black boys and one large room for black girls. And they were locked up in those rooms uh, about 22 hours a day. We had no staff to really supervise them. And we had a, a, a room in the middle of those dorm rooms that had a couple of chairs and they could come out and spend two or three hours a day in there. And that was it. Because the juvenile detention center was overcrowded, sometimes kids were sent upstairs to the adult detention center, where physical and sexual abuse was common. 
In the mid-1960s, two boys alleged that they'd been left in a cell with several older men who burned them with cigarettes and matches, beat them, and raped them. In 1967, Denny finally got the leverage he needed to advocate for a new juvenile detention center. A local white attorney, Ira DeMint, filed a lawsuit on behalf of a black teenage girl who'd been arrested for running away and was being held in the county courthouse's juvenile jail. I had filed a petition for writ of habeas corpus on behalf of a uh, teenage female. This is Ira. She was a runaway. She was not uh, delinquent. And she was placed in a room without any windows. And the electric light bulb in the room on Friday afternoon went out, and the maintenance people were not available until Monday morning, and so she had spent the weekend in the uh, darkness. The lawsuit was ultimately rejected by Judge Thetford, who refused to even hear the case. But Denny, without Thetford's knowledge, used the attention brought by the lawsuit to build support for a new detention center. I went to every church group, women's group, garden club, civic club that I could find, and I invited them to come down and see the facility. It's something I call uh, impacting the senses. I wanted them to see the, the, what we were talking about. I wanted them to smell it. I wanted them to hear it. I wanted them to touch it. And I said, you know what? Here's why I want you to see this, because you own it. This is a tax support facility. Everything you see here and what we're doing to kids, you're a part of it. Denny's plan started to work. Pressure was put on the Montgomery County Commission to do something about the conditions at the juvenile detention center. They responded by putting the issue on the ballot, leaving it up to voters to decide whether the county should spend $750,000 on a new facility. Here we are in the most conservative place on the planet asking the voters to build something for delinquent kids. And I'm thinking, man, this is is probably not going to work. That bond issue passed in Montgomery eight to one, and we built a really nice new detention center that served kids well. As for Ira DeMint's client, the runaway teenage girl, a spot opened up for her at Mount Meg's. I share this story about the detention center because it's a really great example of how entrenched the cruelty of juvenile justice really is. This was in the 1960s, of course, but the same dynamics exist even now. There are some real questions about what Denny's role was as a probation officer and what it should have been. Denny was law enforcement, and this is a reflection of one of the most consistent dynamics over time in the criminal legal system, the way we have to rely on law enforcement to fix problems that it created. There are even bigger questions about the role of the law in our ability to create fundamental change. I must admit that as a concept, a really nice new detention center that serves kids, it makes me skeptical. On one hand, given the conditions of the old facility, it's good that something better was created. But on the other hand, the fundamental problem hadn't changed at all. We're still talking about a jail for children. This is the late 1960s, during President Lyndon Johnson's war on crime. We weren't yet at the levels of incarceration we'd see in the decades to come, but the signs were there. 
the narratives about humane lockups, for example. The insistence on more facilities instead of fewer arrests. But for Denny, the new detention center was a victory. Meanwhile, Denny continued filing complaints about conditions and treatment at Mount Meg's, and his superiors continued to ignore him. Yet another year went by. I guess, I don't know, I'm a slow learner. I, I, I held on this notion of administrative help is coming. Uh, people are going to do something about it. I mean, I, I talked to high-ranking officials, and they all expressed concern. I, I'm not, and I believed that they were going to do something. Uh, so I was naive in that regard. So I just kept hearing these horror stories. And, uh, of course, the most compelling thing I heard was uh, five girls who had escaped from Mount Meg's came into my office and wanted to talk to me. The five girls he's talking about were Mary and her four companions, who in 1968 had run away and were promptly arrested and sent to the detention center. It was there that Mary insisted on talking to someone, anyone, to tell them about what was happening at Mount Meg's. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
After being caught and arrested after running away from Mount Meigs, Mary and her four companions were taken to the Montgomery Juvenile Detention Center, just a floor or two away from Denny's office. We were wanting to speak with someone, you know, because we knew they were going to send us back there. And we were not going, I was, I was not going back without telling somebody what was going on with me. So they told some of the staff uh, that they wanted to see the boss, which was me at the time. So I said, sure. So I had them brought up to my office. I really didn't know why they wanted to see me. I had no idea what they were going to be telling me. And uh, I wasn't surprised about what I heard because I knew it was going on. They started telling me about the physical abuse, the sexual abuse that they endured almost on a daily basis. Uh, one of the girls was hit in the head by a, a female staff member. She was injured so badly she had to go to the hospital. Uh, they told me about watching a girl who was beaten so badly that she miscarried, and they were being sexually abused too uh, by the st- male staff guards. I didn't know that it was already known. But after meeting Denny, we talked and told him what was going on there, which he already knew. But we were just crying and telling him how they were beating us and what they were doing and that we were not going back. That was the word. We are not going back. We were afraid to go back. We weren't going back because we knew we were going to be beaten merciless. They had probably never asked a white person for help before. I think I may have been it. And I could see the fear in in their eyes. Um, And I knew they were uncomfortable telling me what they were telling me. But they had to do it. They had to to tell someone. And uh, they were very courageous. And I... I'll never forget that. What Mary and her friends did is one of the bravest things I can imagine. A Black girl having the nerve to speak up about the abuse that she and hundreds of other kids were going through. And not just speak up, but speak up to someone like Denny, a powerful white guy in law enforcement. When we think back to this era, the 1960s, the civil rights movement, A lot of weight is given to a couple of moments or events or people. But it took countless moments like these and people like Mary, people who never got recognition or accolades, to shift the winds even slightly in a place like Alabama. Diddy and the girls spoke for about 45 minutes before the five of them were returned to their holding cells. For years, Diddy had been disturbed by the conditions at Mount Meg's. But now he had to decide if he was willing to go further this time. Your mind looks at a situation and it says, well, here's the problem. And then your mind says, okay, uh, what can you do about it? And then you look at that. And then your mind says, if you do that, what's going to be the outcome? Is it going to make a difference? And then your mind says, okay, if you do that and you think it'll make a difference, what are the repercussions for you and your family? The answer here might seem obvious. You do whatever you have to do to save the kids. But Denny's predicament is a great example of what I think of as the civil rights fallacy. 
people born after the civil rights movement like to imagine that they would have been on the front lines, protesting, boycotting, crossing the bridge in Selma. But the uncomfortable truth is that when push comes to shove, most people don't do those things. Because those things have costs. For someone like Denny, fighting the system meant professional and social repercussions. And not just for him, for his family. I went home after talking to those girls that day. My kids at the time were six, five, and three. And I went home and, and I saw them there in a good home of parents who loved them and cared about them, took care of them. And I said, you know what? I can't be the kind of father. Can't be the kind of father to my own kids if I walk away from those girls. And I think the thing that kind of did it is that when your mind told you all those things, your heart was telling something else. Your heart is who you are. It's your core values. It's your system. It's, it's what you believe. It's who you are. And I, my heart said, you got to do something. You, you can't walk away from them. I would have regretted my entire life if I hadn't done something. So Denny was done filing complaints. He decided to take a bigger risk, one that would upend his life. In the next episode of Unreformed, Denny, Ira, and five brave students begin the long road to desegregate Mount Megs. Unreformed, the story of the Alabama Industrial School for Negro Children, is a production of School of Humans and iHeartMedia. This episode was written by me, Josie Duffy Rice, and Taylor Von Lasley. Our script supervisor is Florence Burrow Adams, and our producer is Gabby Watts. We had additional writing and production support from Sherry Scott. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Elsie Crowley, Brandon Barr, Matt Arnett, and me. Sound design and mix is by Jesse Nyswanger. Music is by Ben Soley. Additional recordings are courtesy of the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture. The song featured in this episode is All Fly Away by Helen McLeod. William Thetford was voiced by Van Gunter. Special thanks to the Alabama Department of Archives and History, Michael Harriet, Floyd Hall, Kevin Nutt, Van Newkirk, and all of the survivors of Mount Meg's willing to share their stories. If you or someone you know attended Mount Meg's and would like to be in contact, please email mountmegspodcast at gmail.com. That's M-T-M-E-I-G-S podcast at gmail.com. School of Humans. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special mom in your life. And what better way than with the Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets that are perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. 
Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.